Hey, podcast listeners, this is producer David Schultz. I just wanted to say before we get started that this episode was recorded before the announcement of the death of former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. We'll have a lot more on O'Connor and her legacy on the court next week. But for now, here's today's episode. Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Greg Storr. And Greg, the justices heard a major challenge to the SEC's ability to enforce the federal securities laws. Uh, There were a lot of issues for the justices, but in the more than two hours of arguments, the justices really focused on just one issue. Before we dive into that, can you tell us what this case is about? I I will. And can I just say your tone sounds like somebody who sat in that courtroom (laughs) for more than two hours listening to this argument. With no water, no (laughs) connection to the outside. I mean, now I'm getting to be a broken record, though, because I say this a lot on the podcast. I know. It it was tough listening to the live stream as well. (laughs) Oh, Um, (laughs) boo-boo. It was tough listening from home. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... This case, I think you asked about a uh, hedge fund manager, a former hedge fund manager, a guy named George Jarkissi, and he's uh, basically accused of uh, defrauding his investors. And the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, decided to take its case against him into its in-house system of administrative law judges. And he is arguing, I have a constitutional right to not go before the ALJ. I need. I have a right to go to a jury in, in federal court. And a federal appeals court, the Fifth Circuit, very conservative, agreed with him on not one, not two, but three different issues about how the ALJ system is set up. And the, just, the Biden administration appealed to the Supreme Court. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I was pretty surprised that, I mean, the whole case really was all about this one issue about the Seventh Amendment. I guess, did that surprise you? And and then what is the Seventh Amendment issue that we're talking about? <laughs> it surprised me a little bit just because there were those three issues. Uh, it, it Certainly the Seventh Amendment issue is one that's sort of easiest to understand, and it's one that they haven't really had a chance to, to deal with. So I wasn't surprised that there was you know a certain gravitational pull towards it. Uh, the, the issue is basically the Seventh Amendment says that you have a right in federal court to a jury trial. And the question is, If the SEC is bringing something that feels like just a traditional fraud claim and they instead take it to an administrative law judge where the SEC has a variety of kind of procedural advantages and where the decision is made by this person who is actually appointed by the commission itself, does that violate George Jarkissi's Seventh Amendment right? Hmm. Right. And there was a lot of feeling among particularly the conservative justices that this just didn't feel right. Typically, you have this jury right um, unless the government says, hey, we don't want you to have it. We're going to bring it in house. Uh, Does that seem like the way that the case is ultimately going to shake out? It it, it is certainly in the background there. The kind of a second issue in the case that ended up kind of getting subsumed into the Seventh Amendment issue is, uh, is it a problem that the SEC has basically unfettered discretion to decide which cases go to an ALJ, which cases go to federal court. And that certainly was something that seemed to bother justices like Chief Justice John Roberts. And as a general matter, it does seem to me to be curious uh, that, and unlike most constitutional rights, uh, that you have that right until the government decides that they don't want you to have it. That doesn't seem to me the way the Constitution normally works. 
at its core, you know, given that this is an originalist court, one can imagine if if he's going to win this case, it seemed like he was going to, there will be a lot of discussion of the original intent of the Seventh Amendment, what the framers were, were getting at, and uh, the idea that this is the kind of, of claim the justices seem to think that could have been brought in federal court and could have been brought by one of the the allegedly defrauded investors. And it's basically a common law claim just dressed up with the SEC being the one to file it. That seemed to be how they thought about it. You know, I think what they were suggesting is that uh, this is not something that the framers would have wanted to have taken away from a jury if the defendant wants to go before a jury. Right, right. So the, the idea is that Congress can't make it so that, you know, the executive can take things off of the judiciary's plate. Is that is yeah. that sort of the idea? Yeah, that's exactly okay. it. And, and you know, the, the, the challenge is it, it runs up against some precedent. In particular, there's a 1977 precedent where the Supreme Court, I think unanimously, said in a case involving the Occupational Safety and Health Act that, no, this is actually not a problem. It's not a problem that that these uh, claims can be handled administratively and they don't go before a a jury. And so part of what was happening here, and Mr. Jarkissi is not actually asking the court to overturn that president, Mm -hmm. but uh, trying to to figure out how to to deal with it. Right. Well, I think it was Justice Kagan who um, pointed out that it it takes a a certain something to bring these claims for the first time after the case has been going for 50 years. That's settled. Well, it, it, it's settled only to the extent no one's brought it up uh, and forced this issue since Atlas Roofing. In I this, agree. In this context. I, nobody has had the, you know, chutzpah, <laughs> <laughs> to quote my people, to bring it up since Atlas Roofing. I suppose we should point out that Justice Kagan, in case it's not obvious, is Jewish. Mm, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> Those are her people. <laughs> So, I mean, is it true that, you know, the court has to overturn this precedent or is there some way to sort of distinguish Atlas Roofing? Since they're not being asked to overturn it and, uh, you know, my guess is if they're going to rule for jurocracy, they will find a way to distinguish it. And, you know, part of it could be the type of claim that we're talking about. You know, there are broad ways the court can decide this issue in narrow ways. And if the judgment, and it seemed like there was some sentiment there, is, uh, as I was alluding to before, this really just feels like a common law fraud claim that a victim could have brought, uh, and it's it's close enough that there is a jury trial right here. Then you can sort of say, eh, and and the, the the case from 1977 involves something other than that. Hmm. I wonder too, what does this mean for different agencies? I think there was a lot of concern by some of the liberal justices that a ruling um, in favor of the challenger here, I'm not going to say his name because I can never figure out how to say it, um, <laughs> would would sort of could have the potential to mess with other agencies. Um, let me first ask you, do you need us to play the bit from the from the argument where Mr. Jarkasi's lawyer explained to us how to how to pronounce his name? Could we? By the way, it's pronounced Jarkasi, uh, not not a number of other ways that, it, that it's been pronounced by by many. So, Greg, is there going to be implications for other agencies? Well, Kimberly, it depends. Uh, (laughs) Certainly, there was a sentiment, I would say, on the court that the briefing in the case hadn't really spelled out a lot of those implications for other agencies. And um, you could see the court saying, since we don't really know how broadly this will apply, what the implications are all around the government, 
we're going to just decide what we have to in this case to say that this particular plaintiff does have a jury trial right and uh, you know keep it narrow, keep it SEC specific for now, and we'll deal with those other agencies in future cases. So is there a principled line to sort of be drawn around the SEC here, or is it just the idea like, look, we don't like what the SEC does, so we're just going to come up with a rule that, you know, sort of makes it harder for them to do their thing. And, and the other places that we like, you know, like immigration and stuff, that's fine. That can that can stay with the ALJs. Well, you could, you could see some sorts of lines. So you can see a line between, for example, uh, you know, when the government is trying to impose a fine, a civil penalty, that is different from, say, a, a judge at the Social Security Administration who's trying to decide whether somebody gets benefits from the government. You could see that line. You could certainly see a line, uh, although it may be a little bit fuzzy, around, you know, hey, this is something that feels like a common law claim to us, not something, not a newly created right, a, a so-called public right, uh, which is what the Justice Department's briefing uh, spent a lot of time on. So you don't think we'll get a, a ruling that says, like, it's just vibes from the SEC. We don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I, I will say one thing that, that could sort of kick in here is that the SEC has not been using these administrative mm-hmm. law judges mm-hmm. since the beginning of time. Uh, it really kicked up about a decade ago after the SEC lost some big, some high-profile insider uh, trading cases in, in federal court, and they started relying more on the administrative process. And so you might see a little bit of that kind of history in there to sort of explain why this is not a widespread practice that we're, we're going after here. It's only something very new that the SEC has been been trying to do. And then one last thing I wanted to ask you about, Greg, was um, there was a lot of concern from several of the justices, particularly Chief Justice John Roberts, about how the administrative state has just grown so much, has become this beast that affects you know our daily lives in ways that we wouldn't have even imagined 50 years ago. And so, I mean, how does that come into the case? I mean, it's not really technically part of the case, but it sure seemed like it was living there. Yeah, it's certainly in the background. And there was, you know, some back and forth because after he said that, then Justice Kagan came along and said, well, hey, our problems are a lot bigger than they were 50 or 100 years ago that the government's having to deal with. And then Justice Gorsuch, you know, came in and said, well, nobody's arguing that the problems aren't bigger, but the constitutional principles remain the same, don't they? Um, the obvious answer, of course, being being yes. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's certainly in the background. I don't know that it's necessarily you know, essential to the holding about it. But you can certainly see, uh, you know, a few paragraphs being written about the things the federal government doing are, in the minds of those justices at least, uh, you know, a real intrusion on on liberty or potential intrusion on liberty. So we need to uh, protect against abuses. Although, interestingly, it seemed like some of the justices were giving the government some ideas on how they could regulate people more. The federal government, in association with the states, built the interstate highway system, an enormous benefit to uh, members of the public. Uh, could the government decide that accidents interfere with what they were trying to accomplish in the highway system and create an agency to hear uh, and adjudicate uh, who's liable, responsible, and how much for accidents uh, on the highway uh, system. No court, no jury. And I was like, why are you giving them 
<laughs> you know they're going to do this now. I mean, <laughs> that's got to be the next federal well, agency. Well, right? sure. And then that will be the next Supreme Court case. And, and <laughs> we'll continue to have uh, interesting issues to decide. And, you know, the Supreme Court is, is you know, the, the, the uh, docket's getting smaller and smaller, you know, the mm-hmm. calendar. So they need to make sure that there are future cases. So um, we'll plan on that one in a couple the of years. The Federal Highway, Highway Car Crash Administration? Yeah. What would mm-hmm. that be? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Kimberly, what else did the court, did the court do this week? <laughs> what, what were these other cases about that you sat through? Moving on. Let's pretend like that didn't, didn't happen. Right. So the court actually heard three other cases. Um, so they heard a couple of criminal cases, and they heard one very technical immigration case. One thing that stood out to me uh, on the first criminal case that the justices heard was that uh, an assistant federal public defender, Andrew Alder, became one of just a handful of federal defenders to argue more than one case at the Supreme Court. Um, Interestingly, federal defenders as a whole, as a group, argue almost every term at the court, something that I didn't really know before I started doing reporting on this. But mostly they're sort of first-time advocates and only advocates. And that group of people, not federal defenders in particular, but people who argue you know, sort of a one shot at the Supreme Court have gotten a lot of criticism from the justices themselves. Even I think Justice Sotomayor said one time it was like legal malpractice for people to sort of like take their shot at the Supreme Court. So, you know, the federal defenders have really sort of propped up this um sort of network of people who have experience both from inside the federal defenders and outside the federal defenders with, you know, some law school clinics and some actually some law firms like Sidley Austin. And, you know, they've been trying to sort of shed this um, reputation as, you know, giving poor advocacy. And, you know, if uh, the argument on Monday um, in Brown versus U.S. is any indication, they're doing a pretty good job because it was a, a really masterful argument. Uh, In the opening, Andrew Alder sort of brought in this um, example, and I just – it had been a long time since I had seen the justices grasp on to an example just – and it just overwhelmed the whole argument and it really seemed – I would not be surprised to see it. In the in the opinion, so it was uh, really interesting. Interesting, interesting. All right, so that was Monday. How about t- how about Tuesday? Okay, Greg. I don't know what the justices had for their Thanksgiving meal, um, but I, I, there was something in it because Tuesday they were quite spicy. There was, I, I, you know, I think in one of the cases alone there were fifteen instances of you know the quote laughter. Um, laughter isn't always laughter as we know it when it's in the Supreme Court. You're kind of a captive audience. But uh, there were a lot of jabs going on between the justices and with the advocates. So I definitely give those a listen. Uh, Tuesday's arguments were, were pretty good. You missed a good one. Some well, good ones. I'll have to go back and listen, obviously. All right, Greg, uh, that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week when the justices will be hearing three cases. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Hello, podcast listeners. If you don't already know On the Merits, our weekly podcast devoted to legal and government news, it's a show that features the very best of Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government, newsrooms that boast among the largest number of credentialed journalists in D.C. When you listen to On the Merits, you'll hear about the groundbreaking developments in the courts, in Congress, and in the alphabet soup of federal agencies that run Washington and our nation. Our show is by and about legal policy nerds, and we say that lovingly. 
It's a nerd's eye view of what professionals in the legal and government space need to know, but you do not have to be a nerd to listen. Check out our show on the merits and find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find our archive of shows at news.bloomberglaw.com slash podcasts.